Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Rosa and with me is Charlie and we're also joined today by Caroline and Rachel from the brilliant N17 Women podcast to discuss all things Spurs women. We'll be talking the highs, that's Ash Neville and Bethany England, and the lows, that is the unfortunate reality that we're currently in a relegation battle. Caroline, Rachel, I am so thrilled to have you with us. Thanks so much, guys. Um, although we've got to be honest, the circumstances could be better since there's no nice way of putting this, is there? We can't put like a gloss on it. We got thumped at the weekend, man, didn't we? North London derby at home, 5-1. Um, Caroline, I'll go to you first. How are you feeling? Are there like any positives to take away from this day? Well, I guess a positive is that Beth England has continued her goal scoring hot streak, um, albeit through a penalty. We'll take it either way. Listen, and, whatever it is, I'll take it, ma'am. Yeah. And the other positive is really not Spurs related, but the fact that a lot of the other teams in the relegation battle also dropped points. So the weekend could have looked a lot worse if some of those results had gone the other way. Yeah, we have to remember. Yeah, so Villa beat Leicester 5 0. So that leaves them quite solidly behind us. Yeah. So what about you, Rachel? How are you feeling? Got anything for me? Um, not really. No, there weren't a lot of positives. <laughs> and also being we in try, stadium- but when it happens, it happens, man. <laughs> also, like being in your home stadium and having Arsenal fans like out singing mm-hmm. you. It's not nice. And it's just, yeah, the whole day was pretty miserable. I guess the okay, I think it's clarified a few things around mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about later around managers and around where the team's at. Um, so it's clarifying. And I guess a positive was that Harris Harrop played her 177th game for the WSL. Mm. That means she's the joint record holder. And Keris, we had on the podcast before, she's absolutely lovely. She's, you know, just really an intelligent person and player. And so congratulations to her. You know, we'll take personal records. If we can't, like, get trophies or win games, we will always take a personal record. Actually, do you know what? I'd like to, yeah, let's chat about the experience of actually being there because initially, I think, when that fixture kind of sort of grew into consciousness I was like it's it's women's football weekend we don't have still of the men um why is this game not happening at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and then I was like actually I'm really glad it isn't because I just there would have been so many Arsenal fans there and was that the experience yeah I don't know if it had been at the main stadium you'd have had more regular Tottenham fans who would turn up and maybe Mm. the balance would have been a bit oh maybe yeah um but I think the other thing is, a couple of seasons ago, we had big games at the main stadium. But, you know, we're going to just, quite honestly, realistically, occasionally we might get a draw. We might come away with a loss. I'm not sure that trying to drag every Spurs fan to watch us get walloped is the way to go. <laughs> and so maybe it is good to try and sell other games at the big stadium. But then it's mm. a harder sell. Like, you know, last season we won both of our games at the main stadium because we played Birmingham and Leicester. This season we played Man United. We actually did really decently. Um, we, we did, lost... man. I was there. Yeah, that was a really exactly. like that could have been such a great day, but yeah, yeah close. I close. mean, I'm kind yeah. of in favour of dragging lots of Spurs fans with us to just um, share the misery because that's just what we do, right? 
but I, I do I do take your point. Um, we went in at the break, like, and I did say we weren't going to get too granular, but we did go in at the break 2-1. Like, we were 2-0 down quite quickly, and then Bethany Ingram got a penalty, put it away beautifully. And I and I missed most of the game because I was out with my kids that day. But I caught 10 minutes and I feel like we did all right. And then the next time I checked, we'd conceded like another two goals. And that I does that seem that seems to be a theme, right? We kind of concede goals in like quite sort of we we come under heavy fire and suddenly it's like four one when, as Rosa says, we feel like often, you know, we're doing pretty well. It's a it's a goal here, it's a goal there, and then suddenly we're on the other, on another end of a thrashing, is that is that fair to say? And is it a sort of bigger issue for this team? I think yeah. it's fair and also not. Like, I don't think we were doing very well before the in the first half. Uh, they were two nil up, and we had a little flurry of opportunities. Got a penalty from it, went to two one, and then we had a little bit more sort of confidence after that penalty. And so potentially we were making we were finding some space. But then in the second half, we were back as bad as we were at the start of the first half. And so on the one hand, it is true. We have gone ahead and then fallen behind very quickly in a couple of games. But I don't think that was the story of this game. I think this game, we were worse throughout the <laughs> we game. We were just consistently dreadful throughout the 90 minutes. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Well, and I was kind of hoping that since we were able to get that goal back through the penalty, that we could go into halftime, regroup, maybe Vicky could make you know, some changes in the second half that could be the difference maker, but we just didn't see that. I mean, Kit Graham was able to come in, but she was really the best option we had off the bench. Um, And I think another big issue that we've had the whole season is that the defensive line just doesn't seem to have the same chemistry this year. And as those goals started to pile up, you could just see their heads drop and they just mm. looked so discombobulated. So it's it's a big difference from last season when it seemed like our defense was the most solid part of the team. We, we just can't really rely on that being a difference maker. Yeah, it really felt like that was the basis of our success last season, actually. And I guess we should know, I suppose, that we haven't had Shalina for a couple of games, right? Is that since the international break? Yeah, right. she came back ill. So Spurs. Oh are God, not another very mystery Spurs. Oh, yes. and she was on the bench, I think, in the first game after the break. So then she just disappeared from the match day squads entirely. So yeah, it's it's another one of those mysteries. Yeah, so we love that. Up, we love we've that. Got, yeah. So we've got Shalina, we've got Jess, we've got Ramona. All of them have been out for months without any information. So yeah, but. It's 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 one of the mysteries of Spurs women is the fandom is small enough that there's not enough pressure that they can just keep these secrets and we have no idea what's going on. Um, yeah, and actually was, that's something we can get into later about the comms, yeah. I think, right? And one, I, think, I was just going to ask one more thing about the actual day, uh, Rachel, just in terms of having, you know, obviously you do have a mixture of sort of fans in women's football. It's not the same sort of tribal if you found an Arsenal fan near you at a North London derby in a men's fixture, then, you know, Christ knows what might break out. But how how is it? And is it still? Because I remember going to, can't, I don't know if it was the first North London derby women's, uh, first women's North London derby at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium a few years ago. And I mean, I was with my in-laws who are Arsenal fans and, you know, they were, there was no sort of fisticuffs between us, but it was... I mean, 
sometimes we get close but there was definitely there was a definite mix of fans but it was generally fine it was a little bit kind of you could see a few Spurs fans not particularly enjoying the experience of having Arsenal fans celebrating sort of the goals and stuff but is that is it getting more tribal or is it just I don't know since we've moved to Brisbane Road has it changed at all having that mix of fans in the stadium I think it's I think there's differences of opinions about that. Um, I remember that game. So my sister, who's an Arsenal fan, I told her she wasn't allowed to sit with me. So she sat completely on the other side, um, which was Rightly fine. so. Rightly, Rightly so. so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, I, I mean, we now do have a season ticket area. So in that area, it is only Spurs fans. And what's interesting, not against Arsenal, but in one of the cup games, they allowed, they resold some of those seats to other people. And I remember season tickets were like, were all these, I think it was London City Lionesses, like, what are they all doing here? Like, you're in our area. Like, we pay for a season ticket so we don't have to sit next to you, anyone else. Um, the other areas, they remain much more mixed. And I think it does vary. I mean, so I've gone and sat in and I've gone to Reading and sat next to Reading fans and they've been lovely and been sat next to Leicester fans. They've been okay. You know, like some of them have been, it's nice. I think there are games where it feels less fun to be sitting next to other fans. And I don't love doing it at Arsenal and mm. certainly when we go to the Emirates they put us into the in the same place as they put the men's away fans so you're in this little corner with not a very good view um so I will say it- that from the perspective of watching on the FA player it at least seemed like a better atmosphere for this game because they had the blocks on either goal open because usually when you're watching on the stream you know, all you can see is the block opposite the benches where they, I don't think they've ever sold tickets there, have they? So it just looks like there's nobody there mm. and it can be a little disappointing to see that, you know? Yeah, I think also Brisbane Road, all the seats are red, which is obviously a little bit concerning. There's no clock, which is super weird. So you never mm. know how far along in the game you are. Um and it just hasn't come to feel like our stadium yet. We didn't have a lot of games there for a while. And then we started having a few games, but they were often there was like rescheduled games on Wednesday nights. We've had two of those. We lost a bunch of games. So it hasn't felt like a stadium that Spurs fans really own. We haven't had a lot of success there. And so I I don't know if that's going to come or if something else is going to happen in between that. How long are we there? How long are we contracted to be at Brisbane Road? I don't know. Definitely more than a season. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I was trying to, I was looking it up. I was trying to find out today, but they didn't seem to... I think it sort of said a multi-season agreement, but it didn't it didn't sort of specify anything, which again is very Spurs comms, isn't it? To not actually map out anything like that whatsoever. Um how like are we gonna get relegated, guys? Like how are we feeling at this point? I don't think we are. You know, I think Lester dropping those points this weekend made it a little more safe. And when you look at our remaining schedule, I think we have it in us to get enough points to be safe. I, Cause I think realistically we only need maybe like one more win and a draw and we should be okay. Just because there's so few games in the WSL season. It's not like um, Lester has a very long runway <laughs> to uh, escape. So I, I think it's going to be okay. It's the only thing that concerns me slightly is just that the performances really have not been getting much better. I feel like we had a little bit of a boost after Beth and Mana came into the side during the January transfer window. And since then we've been kind of back to the the inconsistency. Mm. Would you agree, Rachel? 
Yeah, I think I feel less confident than I was. Statistically, I, I know that it, nothing's really changed between last weekend and this. And, you know, we were we got a win and we were feeling optimistic that finally we've got something. And, you know, it's the first we had that first win in nine games. So it was, you know, OK, it felt like we we're over that hump. But then how we lost to Arsenal in this game, it felt like we've gone back so far. It was worse than the games against Chelsea, Man United, Man City, all of which have happened since Christmas. And so that's what gives me less confidence. And Caroline's absolutely right. The last two seasons to finish 11th, which is one place above relegation, you had to have either between 13 and 15 points. So realistically, that's one more game. But there have been fewer draws this year. So that might mean mm. that you need one one win and a draw or two wins. And the only two teams that are obvious candidates for that are Brighton and Reading. Um, but Reading, we've won against, lost against and drawn against this season. Uh, Brighton, we had that ridiculous 8-0 win. But we've they've got a lot better and... You know, and then we've got West Ham as the only other sort of quasi winnable game. But West Ham away on the last day of the season is not where you want to put all your eggs. Oh, my God. It really, really, really isn't. Oh, my God. I feel like this is just a perfect introduction to Spurs women for everybody who is a Spurs men's fan. And it's like, OK, this is all sounding pretty familiar. Um, it's like the so, last like 25 years of being of yes. like supporting Spurs men are being distilled into this like one season from absolute hell for Spurs women, culminating in a like lasagna gate repeat somehow. It's going to be, oh my God, this is worse than I thought, guys. Although, um, do you want to hear my latest crackpot? I always have a crackpot theory and my latest is because it is compressed in like, you know, by next year, we'll have like, you know, we'll be in a championship. Champions League final and it will all be fine basically we're just gonna we're just gonna like super speed through the last 20 years of Tottenham men and you know probably win something before they do so that's pretty cool probably yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think that are you see the thing is that doesn't even sound ridiculous excellent I, mean, not, I love this and that's not even a comment on Tottenham men it's just mm-hmm. you look at what happened last season two of the teams that are doing best outside of the top four are Aston Villa and Everton and last season they were struggling they couldn't score yeah. goals they were, mm. Everton was in a relegation fight for a bit and like you say the league is so compressed that you just have to find the right improvements and do something and you know a few other teams fall off and you can jump up the league yeah so we've got Everton next haven't we and we're not feeling super confident about that or at all confident because obviously <laughs> they have improved quite a lot. Um, what, to be honest, guys, like what what has happened to us this season? Because last season was really fun and we had a really good run of it. And there was quite a lot of hope and expectation going. I mean, this is so familiar, isn't it? But there was a lot of sort of hope and expectation going into this season and excitement and it all unraveled quite quickly. Is it just, is some of it, like I look at it and I think some of it is a case of terrible timing, to be honest. Like I think if we'd had the fixtures that we had before Christmas and fixtures that we've had since, if those could have been reversed, we'd probably be all right. And we've had the sort of classic thing of never being able to get any momentum going, have we? Because we beat Brighton 8-0 and then we just didn't play again for about a month. And obviously we get our first win months and months and months and then the next game is the North London derby so luck has got luck and timing has got to play a part right but the, what else has been going on guys it's it's just been a perfect storm of 
obstacles, really, you know, all the things you just mentioned, all the postponements of games because of the pitch at Brisbane Road really not being much of an improvement over the hive. Um, We also have had a pretty severe injury crisis, I would say, that struck from basically the first game. Um, But I think on like a structural level, the biggest problem heading into this season was that we didn't retain the core of the team from last season. So part of that was having those two long-term injuries to Kit and Rhea, which you can't plan for, obviously. But we let Rachel Williams go. We let Maeva Clemeron go, who was hugely important to the midfield. And even if you look to the goalkeeping position this season, we, we have the same keepers, um, but one of them has been out of action for most of the season. We don't know if that's you know, a choice from the manager or if she's battling an injury, because again, we never get communication about these things. So it just feels like the the team was kind of unsettled and had a lot of new pieces coming in to start the season. And they just haven't meshed. Like we've, we've been waiting all season to see it click and it just hasn't. Yeah. I think, I think what Caroline said and what was noticeable, actually, if you look at the performances last season, the last few, last sort of quarter of last season, we were actually playing less well and we were just holding on. And that was partly about the fixtures. We had to play Arsenal and Chelsea twice in that last bit. But it was also about, by that point, Kit being gone, Rhea being out injured and just losing some of that, the sort of, the solidity and strength mm-hmm. in midfield, especially. And I think one's the that's exact and the point is that one of the reasons our defense is suffering is because they're not as protected as they were. And there's I don't even know how many times I've just like tweeted a picture of Maver Clemeron when people are like, what's our problem this season? It is her absence. She was, you know, one of those players who the first when you first see her, you don't necessarily notice her. She's not pretty but she is like a mass she's like a battler so you there's these great photos of her getting into one with Katie McCabe in the Arsenal game because she was the one who was going to be in there like defending the team etc but she's also was just you know was protecting the back line and passing out and moving the ball forward in a way that we haven't had an equivalent this season or not an equivalent who's had all of the different things that she's had and again Rhea is a really hard tackling box-to-box player and missing her. Now, I'm not saying when she comes back, she's going to solve everything because obviously teams move on, but there's something about those two going out at that time and not having a replacement. And at the start of the season, still not having, you know, until Bethany England came in, a striker. So we were looking for defenders for goals a lot of the time or, you know, defensive midfielders. And so, and we brought in a striker, um, Nikki Kacheska, who... I'm very positive about and like when we talk about like players we're optimistic about she's up there but she hardly played she played like 200 minutes across the first half of the season or more than half of the season so she wasn't getting a lot of game time and we don't know why again Spurs mystery illness information um yeah so all of that and there's something, you know, I mean, we've there are questions. She's no longer our manager now, but questions about how adaptable Rianne was, Rianne Skinner, when she was the manager. She was she seems very good at getting like team, community, all of those things. Sort of the anti-conti in that, I would say. Um, and a lot of it was about um, you know, players who got on well with each other, but she wasn't obviously good at making sort of tactical changes mid-game or bringing on players to mix things up and some of that was thin benches but some of that must be down to her yeah Caroline I don't know if you've I felt watching them over this season that I I wasn't 
sure if we had an identity anymore. So I only really started watching Spurs Women properly last season. And I did feel very strongly um, that the success and you could see the spine of the team was built on kind of defensive solidity and strength in midfield. And I do. And I just remember like Maeva being one of the names that people constantly mentioned when I was looking for information and you could see her in every game. And it was like you knew what we were about. And I couldn't. And I just feel like I haven't really seen that this season. Is that fair? Very fair. Yes. I think we just aren't controlling games this season. I feel like we've really lost our ability to play through the middle of the pitch and it's just become very limiting and in, in the kind of attacks that we can create. Um, we've seen a lot of just crosses into the box, but nobody there to receive them. You know, it's, it seems like the, the team, the players just are not all on the same page about what we're doing. And like you said, last season, you really got a sense that there were these defined patterns of play. And, you know, I think Rianne probably deserves some credit for getting them to that point. So it's hard to understand why she was not able to do the same with the group this season. I mean, I know we had new players coming in, but it just seemed like you said, the whole identity had really just been lost. So it's, it's a little baffling to me. Because I, I felt like I would watch Spurs women a lot last season and would admire, as you as we're saying, the tenacity and the togetherness. And it felt like there were patterns of play that where you could see the coaching that was happening and what they were trying to achieve. But there was just no one to put it in the back of the net. It was often just these incredibly frustrating games. I remember the uh, the West Ham game where I think we were a goal up, right? And they equalised with like the last wasn't even a kick of the game was it was a header really annoying looping header and I was just like we had so many chances to go two up in that game I seem to I seem to recall and now we have one of you know arguably the best strikers in I mean not just the division but across Europe really in in Bethany England and the rest of the team has just sort of gone to shit (laughs) it's just unbelievably Tottenham that of course we you know get the answer that was uh you know the well, the answer to the big question that seemed to be posed to us last season and this season, everything else has gone wrong. But um, we should we should talk about the sort of players that we are excited about, right? Or at least confident in if we scrape through this season, building a sort of brighter future towards. And obviously, you know, we have a huge building block in 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 Beth England. I mean, that's a she was a coup. She was by far and away, really, I guess, the most exciting signing the club's made. Who else do you guys love? Tell us, tell us some players that are real that you guys have soft spots for, Rachel. Well, I think everyone's starting point is pretty much Ashley Neville because she is a she is just an exciting player to watch. You know, whether she's playing as fullback, wingback, winger, attack, you know, she plays everywhere and on both sides of the pitch. And she is always 100% committed, but also really skillful. I did like a, I did a little montage of all of the flicks and whatever she did in the Manchester United game. And there was so much pretty stuff, the sort of stuff that is stupid. She I was mean, amazing in that game, man. I remember, yeah. I was so, so gutted because obviously Buffington scored that amazing goal and then we immediately conceded and it was really devastating. But watching her... I was like, she plays everywhere, man. Just everything that you said. I was. She yeah. played in like three positions that day, and all of them like exceptionally brilliantly. Yeah. Is is her versatility an issue though? Like, does she, is she yeah. someone that needs a defined role? Are we looking at you know a sort of not a jack of all trades, master of none? Because that is hugely rude, quite honestly, to someone that's 
been our best player. But going forward, do we need to just because she's also she's coming up to she, is she thirty already? But she's like she's not. We're not talking about a twenty-one-year-old, right? We're talking about someone who is in their prime. We should be getting the absolute most out of. Particularly now, we have a centre forward that you would ideally want her dovetailing with and you know creating chances for. But it feels like she's perhaps suffered from being able to play in so many roles, I guess, because she is our best player, right? So if there's a hole to fill, it's easier to ask Ash Neville to fill it. Is that fair? I think it's fair. And it is, it is frustrating. I think that especially because she start, she obviously last season, she spent most of the year playing in the back line, um, either left or right wing back or full back. And this season she started there and then she moved forward because we had a shortage of attackers. And then recently she's been moved back again. And I think that she is one of the best sort of the best people at progressing the ball. And she can, I think she's been criticized for her passing, but I think she's quite creative as a passer. So she's always looking for an outlet. And so in that sense, even when it doesn't come off, what she's trying is more interesting than some of our players. And she doesn't look, you know, she doesn't always look for the conservative option. And at the same time, her ability to, you know, carry the ball herself is really high. And so having her just playing a little bit higher up the field, I think would be good. And like you say, I mean, it can't be helpful for her to keep on switching roles. And I actually think that she has become, I think she didn't play great in the last game, you know, and I'm not certain that her ability to play as a fullback is helped by her playing in all of these different roles where she is, you know, her responsibilities are really different and we want to get the most out of her. Like you say, she's got a you know a few years left, but you know, you don't want her to just be constantly being moved around. And when we interviewed her for N17 Women, she straight up told us that she likes to be in the attack. So I think ideally with our strategy going into next season in terms of, you know, new transfers in, we need to be thinking about getting in some more defenders so that she can be released Mm. to be in the attack. That's personally how I feel anyway. Yeah, I would just, I would properly love to see her link up with Beth England now and just really go for it. And to be honest, if even from now on, if we're going to, you know, concede goals anyway, let's just try and have a bit of like fun up top and just to go for it a little bit more. Can we spend a couple of minutes talking about Beth England? Because honestly, I know this is very like, um, I don't know, entitled Tottenham fan of me or whatever. But when she signed, man, I was so psyched. I was so buzzing about it. And she has done kind of nothing to prove me wrong at all. It's been like we've been, if nothing else, we have been blessed this season, this half season, right? That's been a joy. She's done everything and more that we could have asked of her, right? Yeah, the only disappointment is that we couldn't get her in in the summer when we were first linked to her you know it's do we know why just she wanted to give it it another shot at Chelsea or partially that and partially that I think Chelsea weren't quite ready to let her go um because they were you know kind of hedging their bets in terms of their depth chart because Chelsea famously has like the most deep squad in the league um and that's just a luxury they get to have (laughs) right (laughs) But yeah, I think it's it's crazy to think about how the season could have been different if she had come in during the summer, um, because I think it's not just her technical ability, which is on display every single game that she plays. 
It's the mentality that she brings. You know, she she just seems immediately locked in and she's a very open, genuine person. You can tell that from her interviews and um, also just her demeanor on the pitch. You know, she's egging on the rest of the players, trying to get everybody up to the same energy level. So I I love her and I'm glad that we got her on a permanent transfer and not alone. <laughs> how long is her contract for? I feel like this is one of those weird things I don't really know about the women's game, like how long the contracts are for. And how long everyone gets to stick around for? Is it like a couple of years? They seem shorter. So, so they used to be really short. So historically, mm. we've often had like one year contracts with an option for another year. And that's been, and so then we've started to have a couple of two year contracts. Sort of last season, some people came in on two year contracts. Maybe not all the people we wanted on two years contracts by the end of the year, but hey. Um, this And then when Ash got renewed last season, she got a three-year contract and that was the longest in the club's history at that point. And the oh, only amazing. other player. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So then Beth is on a three-year contract as far as I think. And there's a couple of other players who come in on slightly longer contracts, but it's still two years is quite often the norm. And so it does mean that we've got about five, six players who are coming up to their contracts are ending this summer and we've got another bunch of players who we've got an option on but they could have their contracts ended this summer so it's I'm one of the problems for Spurs is that if you're not in the top four you're constantly trying your players are always leaving and you're constantly having to replenish them because your good players go to better clubs and your bad players you get rid of and you end their short contracts whereas the top teams you know they will have this roster of players and there'll only be a couple that they need to improve on so even just stuff like solidity of the team, et cetera, is going to be different. So, yeah. And um, Mana, we've got on loan, right? So because I think she's she's obviously made quite a big difference since joining. And I was extremely angry that she couldn't play against Arsenal because of the terms, presumably because of the terms of her loan deal, right? Which I just think is a real piss take in the women's game, to be honest. I think, you know, trying to grow a game, you're trying to grow a league. You can't have these sort of ridiculous restrictive clauses. Like it just, it ruins it, I think. Um, obviously I'm biased, but I genuinely do believe that also. Um, and she she's made a difference, but it's a bit like, so what, what's going to happen? And presumably she's just on a loan to the end of the season. And then what? We have to. So I guess of... she wants to play in the World Cup. So she's like Beth. She's trying mm. to get minutes because she was getting no minutes really when she was at Arsenal. And so for her to play for Japan in the World Cup, she wants to do that. And so she's come to us. She's got an incentive. She probably doesn't want to leave London. Hope that she gets a renewal. People have said, um, you know, that she's just, obviously her skills are insane. She's also, I think of anyone in terms of sort of being up for it, she is absolutely on the sort of like always, you know, it is crazy how often she will go in for a header and actually win them, given that she is about a foot shorter than mostly everybody <laughs> else on the pitch. Um, I was going to but- ask on on that, Rachel and, and Caroline, is it, is it noticeable the difference in sort of application caliber, et cetera, when you do get players coming from Chelsea's and Arsenal's where you'd imagine the coaching and the setup and everything is, is a step up because talking about, you know, Bethany coming in and immediately just looking the part both on the pitch and the mentality and the same with Marla, is that, is, is, is there still that just chasm in terms of, coaching and just the sort of psychological approach and everything that when we do get players from those clubs we we are noticing that difference 
or is that just super basic and i think the skills is the main thing like i would say you look at the the, just the level of skill and ball control that's the thing you notice but if you think about mentality i guess because we've had issues with drew who has sometimes been on it and sometimes she isn't and every game you will look at her and she will do something and you're like oh she's a player but there will also be a lot of times in games where you're sort of like what are you not bothering to go back and get the ball like what's going on and it doesn't happen every game she was amazing throughout the whole game against Leicester and fully switched on but the game against Arsenal much less so and she came from Chelsea as well so I think you can't I don't think it's a mentality thing especially and we've definitely got players who come from other places who have got that sort of energy but I do think you see the skill difference Drew is such an interesting one man isn't she she's so she is really you don't know which one you're going to get on any given, not even on any given day, right? It's just like within a game, you can watch her. And it's right, she does these things, you just go, that's amazing. You know, watching her sometimes, like her through balls are incredible and she's just her vision her is fantastic. shooting. I mean, I've not seen a Spurs player hit the ball that cleanly since like Tom Huddleston. Like her ability to shoot from range is just extraordinary, really. And much like Tom Huddleston, just suddenly she'll just completely run out of steam. And you'll just be like, are you, are, what's happening right now? Are you, are you aware you're in a football game? I just want to get, is she, is it a fitness thing? Do we think? I think part of it is that she's a player who is getting closer to the end of her career and doesn't have as much left to prove. Um, Cause I think you can kind of contrast her to say a player like Celine Bizet, who is still very young and my looking favorite, to prove by the way. herself. My favorite. Right. And, you know, she also came from a top club. Um, at PSG and you can see that she understands like the intensity the game is supposed to be played at and you know I think she she's still in a position where she hasn't solidified her place I think she's getting close to being a locked on starter and if I had my way she'd be a locked on starter but perhaps you know that's we've seen she's been benched a few times in recent games so it's it's kind of a different level of uh, demand I suppose that they feel yeah, Selena's definitely she of all the sort of summer intake, I think she's been she's been the one, hasn't she, who's kind of been the most exciting to watch. So I'm just gonna I just have to say Nikki, because I am Yeah, like, do you love her? Yeah. What's I it love about Nikki. her? I like she's, her, but I feel like I haven't seen enough of her yet, I guess. I think she does what Harry Kane does when he's playing deep, in that she Ooh, will okay. back into a play, she'll back into the defenders. She'll hold the ball up. She'll bring other players in. And she's just a handful. Like, like players don't, she's six foot, which is tall for the women's game. Mm. And players don't, you can tell they don't like her being there. And This I've happened seen, against Chelsea, right? Was it the Chelsea game? She's where played, she came yeah, on and she kind of caused chaos like immediately. Yeah, and yeah. She, I think she scored, right? And it, all I know yes. is they didn't like it. They were like, who is this? They, we don't like him. Yeah, they really don't. Like, you really can tell that teams don't like. And she, she's not the finished item at all. She's got mm-hmm. like a lot of, you know, there is, she makes mistakes. She sometimes plays the wrong balls. But she is just able to do things that other players aren't. And she will take the ball and like get around a player and her feet, you know, her footwork is actually really good. It's not just all about being big. And so I feel like she's a player who's got a long way, like she's got a lot of potential because given what she's already doing and she's quite young, she could go far. Is there a world in which she and England can play together or are we still 
you have to have sort of three attacking midfielder winger types around Beth England or can you know can we go old-fashioned and play two up top we've seen Nikki play in a strike partnership I think with Beth but definitely with Celine and that was actually a really interesting link up between the two of them I thought they played off of each other really well um, because you know as Rachel said Nikki is kind of that hold-up player whereas Celine is the one that brings the pace um, she, she can be very fluid and where she is on the pitch, um, and still find that link up with Nikki. So I, I really enjoyed seeing them play together. Do you know, this is such a classic conversation where if I think about some of the players that we have, I can feel myself getting quite excited again. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, we've got, we've got Beth, we've got Nikki and Celine. And then I'm thinking about like Kit Graham coming back and Rhea Percival and like my beloved Jess Naz, like, where is she, man? Is she like, if she ever comes back, like... That's pretty, that, you know, with like great coaching, I feel like we could really do something. So I actually, I want from you guys, like what, if we could, provided we don't lose anybody, who is the sort of spine of the team for next season, do you think? Rachel, I'll go to you first. What would you like to see? Um, oh, gosh. Um... Well, not even the spine, just like a bunch of, you know. Just a bunch of players and just chuck them in there. So obviously, like, you know, Beth up top is Mm -hmm. an obvious one. I think you could, like, I was thinking you could have brought Nikki on in the North London derby if you need to go long, because why not? At that point, we weren't getting the ball through the middle of the pitch. So she might be an impact sub for a while, but you could also play her sometimes. You've obviously got Ash on one wing and ideally maybe Jess on the other or Celine. Um, so between those three, I know Roz is playing better recently, but she's still not in my starting lineup in an ideal world. Um, so we'll, we'll get to her. We'll get to her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I guess, I mean, the problem is, I think it's, you've got Kit or Drew sort of competing for a number 10. And mm. I think, you know, over time you might have Kit coming through. I think the space where we are less clear is defensive midfield, where you've at the moment got um, Evelina and Cho and Angarad who are competing for those. It's usually two spots, occasionally Drew coming back and taking one of them, depending on how they're sort of who's who else is on the pitch. And none of them do everything. Evelina is the most sort of energetic, hard running box to box, but also probably the most sort of defensively astute. Um, so she's probably been my choice of those three and I would like to see reinforcements there. That's really, I think that's absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. Um, even with Rhea back, I think, you know, it's going to take her a little while to get back to something and she plays well with somebody else as the sort of main defensive midfielder. And then I guess the back line and again, we need reinforcements at fullback slash wingback and to keep Azzy, who isn't getting a lot of game time, but could do. And, you know, yeah, send- Caroline, yeah. I've really... Sorry, Rachel, yeah. carry on. I'm going to ask right. Caroline about as me. Go in for minute, it. Just no, because no. <laughs> she's a player that I swear to God, like I wouldn't have, I, watching Spurs women this season, I would not have known she existed, I think, if it wasn't for you, like constantly bigging her up and being like, why isn't she playing? I'm really, because she's like an exciting young player, right? She's in the England setup, which is pretty rare for our Tottenham players, right? And she's just not played, right? And you're like, we're going to lose her. Right. And it's it's curious, especially because at the beginning of the season, she was getting some starts and we really were like, great, Asmita's finally getting her breakout season that she deserves. Because I, I think I speak for, you know, all of us that when we've seen her play, 
you can immediately see what she offers. She's one of our strongest passers on the team, which has definitely been an issue this season overall. Um, you know, I think she just has a little bit of creativity to her game as well. And she's also just an intelligent player who reads the pitch really well. Like she, her positioning is usually spot on. Um, so it's frustrating to see her, you know, losing opportunities this season, especially when there's a certain defender that I think we've all kind of been feeling lukewarm about the whole season. Um, but it's, it's not just as It's also, I was disappointed to see that we allowed both Gracie Pierce and Esther Morgan to go on loan for the second half of the season. Cause I really would have liked to see one of them stick around for not just for depth, because there are times when we really did need, I think, something different in the defense. Um, but just because they're both, you know, promising young players. I mean, we saw Gracie Pierce get championship player of the week not too long ago. So from a youth development perspective, I think the, the club was kind of dropping the ball this season overall. So we've, we've spoken about a lot of confusing personnel recruitment decisions. We, of course, don't have a manager to make these decisions or you know participate in the making of these decisions going forward what what's going to happen with the the head coach position guys where i mean we obviously have we have vicky jepson sort of as interim coaches at the minute is has she got a shot at becoming a permanent fixture at the club or and are there being names linked i mean it's obviously very different to the men's game where you know it goes into overdrive and it's just rumor central and you know blah 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 it's a, it's a lot more sort of quiet online in terms of this sort of rumor, um, rumor mill stuff for the women's game. But what do, do you guys have any insight into how the club might move forward, Rachel? I mean, the short answer is no. I have zero insight. Um, that we've given been given very few clues initially. The sort of club said that Vicky Jepson was going to be taking charge for the upcoming game. And it, we've never had any assurances, even that she's here for the whole of this season, let alone what's happening next season. I think after, after the first two games in which she's been in charge, it's been great to see a win. But we haven't seen any evidence that she is going to improve things as compared to Rianne. And I think in the women's game, there's two things. It's all the tactical stuff, but it's also how you are able to bring players in is so critical because we've seen what's happened with Carla Ward at Aston Villa. And that is both about her management of the team, but it's also about her like attracting players to the team mm. in the summer window. And then again in the um, winter. So, yeah, I mean. <laughs> and we really haven't had any solid links to any potential coaches. I think there have been, you know, maybe a couple of names thrown out who are literally just those who are available because they've mm. been recently sacked from other positions. Um, like for example, Karine Diakra, who I think we can all unequivocally say, please no. No, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, although, you know, the French national teams are always really moody. So you just, it may be with like a more chill out group. No, it's crazy. No, Let's no, forget no. About it. <laughs> best, best not to risk it. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's like Rachel said, in, in the women's football manager market, things are just so opaque and it's hard to really mm -hmm. know who's available. I think we we could have a better idea at the end of the season. And that's why the club has decided to just go with Vicky as the interim option. But I mean, over the last two games that she's been in charge, I don't think she's done anything to really 
you know, put forth a case that she should be made permanent. Well, yeah, um, she's really Brianne's woman, isn't she? It doesn't. She it is. doesn't feel like it feels like they just worked as a team, and she's not bringing anything else. It it really the Leicester get like what happened against Arsenal just it it made it quite clear to me that the Leicester game was the players stepping up really. Yeah, I I think that's fair, and you know I maybe I'm jumping the gun by bringing up Rosella Ion here, but. I think that Lester game was a pretty good example of she's a player who I think can, can actually do well if she has top quality players around her. And on that day, you know, the forward line, I feel like we're really on it. And, you know, we saw that in her performance coming out as well, but we, we need a manager who's going to get those performances out of the whole squad consistently. And I feel like we've had a few players, you know, across the pitch who just are not bringing the energy every game. They're kind of just sleepwalking through the season and we can't afford to have that. I was going to ask then about the profile for the next coach, because it feels like the club is at a, you know, a crossroads really. Hopefully we kind of escape disaster this season and we can drag ourselves over the finish line and regroup in the summer. But in order for us to not let that group at the top disappear even further into the distance, what type of, and I guess we're now also, you know, asking you guys about the future as well in that sort of zoomed out sense, but attracting the right kind of coach. You know, you mentioned Carla at, at, at Villa you know, do we need to go for someone who is going to have that cachet to attract that top level talent? Do we need a real sort of training ground coach? Which I must admit, I thought Rianne kind of was when we got her. I thought that was very much her thing. And then it seems to have, I guess, a bit like over on the men's side that, you know, for sort of nine months, that was great. And then all of a sudden it wasn't great. But what what would you guys love to see in terms of profile for who's going to drag this club forward? Rachel, you first, please. It's really hard, isn't it? I mean, you know, obviously when we're talking about this, we've always got in the back of our minds feelings about coach turnover in the men's team as well. And, you know, I remember that long period in the men's team where we just had like endless turnover of managers and there's nothing I want less than to have that at the women's team. So this part of me was really happy that Rianne was meant to be doing, you know, building a project. And there was this idea that that is what Spurs needed. And I think it's still what Spurs need. It's just maybe she wasn't the person. And so, but the problem is in the women's game, because there are relatively few professional teams and so relatively few people who are used to managing professional teams, just like there's a smaller market for players, it's hard to know who you could bring in who was sort of that, you know, you want the young dynamic person who's still committed to, mm. it doesn't have to be age, but you know, the dynamic person who sort of still wants to find a club and build it and stick with it. And in your ideal world, that's who you would get. But yeah, they also have to have sufficient profile and experience that people are willing to work with them. And they know enough about other leagues that they have connections. Cause one of the things yeah. we've been worried about is that Spurs have been recruiting from very small pools and so they we've sort of like we used to joke about agent tinny because everybody seems to somehow or other know our goalkeeper tinny capella <laughs> or have played with her and we were like oh is tinny like our sole sort of form of recruitment miss um, miss 10 percent at the back there <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's interesting because i think Rianne's kind of recruitment 
power was a bit limited and that she was either recruiting players that she had worked with in the English youth setups when she was managing in that system or young players from across Europe who are kind of like up and comers. We weren't really attracting, um, you know, players at their peak, which I think is what we really need to bring in to get to that next level. Um, Cause you know, on the, on the flip side, we also brought in a few players who are, you know, what we call WSL veterans um, and who, in the end, I don't think quite brought the the experience and, you know, maturity that we were quite hoping for. Mm. So it, is it Amy it, Turner, your super mad at Caroline? I'm just I feel like we need to just name names. <laughs> it's 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 kind of honestly, to be totally candid, it's the the duo of her and, and Greg yeah. James. Um, they they both have just not lived up to, I think, what because people were excited, right? When they when I they know, both yeah. joined, it well, felt like I, this was real common sense recruitment from from the club. Yes, and from my perspective, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know, because they had both come from the Orlando Pride, and I, I watched the NWSL. Mm. The Pride, the Pride are really struggling uh, these last couple of seasons, and so I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if this is is going to be the move. Um, Wasn't that they, to do with like off? field stuff though or was it that was yes I thought there was like there was like a whole clusterfuck right yeah the the reason they left was I think largely down to that because Amy Turner had you know really unfortunately kind of been the victim of some retaliation from the head coach um so I sympathize with her on a personal level Mm. like it's great that she got out of that bad situation um I just think she was not not the player that we needed and you know, it's it's sad with Engrad because when I saw her in preseason, um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to see them live when they were over here in the States. And I thought she was going to be, you know, a really dynamic presence in the midfield. And I, I don't know what happened. It just hasn't worked out that way. Yeah, I think I would also say. I think both of them are almost evidence that mentality isn't enough because I think they do both have the right mentality. And we've often said that when you hear Amy having an interview post-match, she sounds like we want the players to sound. She's angry when we've done badly. She seems, you know, even in game, when she makes a mistake, you see her like massively trying to make up for it afterwards. But she's still making the mistakes and she's still just playing out of position or doesn't feel com- seem comfortable. And like Caroline, I think Angered has been almost more disappointing because there were moments at the start of the season where she seemed like she might be the answer and like she was doing good things. And yeah, neither of them have let, lit the world on fire. Yeah, it's been the sort of, um, in the defence, it's really been the, the, the veterans of, of Spurs women, right, who've kind of carried us through. But even there, there's been mistakes, you know, like, you know, you want to say, oh, everyone's great. It's all, you know, but even in that one Arsenal game. I really do, Rachel, I really do. I love, like, I love Molly. I love Karis. I love Ash and Shalina. But like, even in that one game against Arsenal, like Molly and Karis and Ash, you could put, you know, you could put fingers Mm. on the mistakes they were making. There have been games where all of our players and it's so something's going wrong, people. And it's about, I think, communication and having a game plan and understanding where each other is because on the games where people are covering for each other better, you're like, okay, this is making sense. But most of the time it's down to one person, one person makes a mistake and then that's it. Yeah. You can see it all the sort of dominoes fall, don't they? God. Do we feel that? Do we feel, sorry, Rosa, but do, I'm going to ask some big questions. Do we feel confident 
bearing in mind we did in January go out and you know if you believe certain media reports smashed a transfer record to sign you know a top level striker can we expect more of that going into the summer assuming we retain our status in the in the in the WSL is that a one off is that you know and i think back to that it's kind of old school spurs isn't it where it's like i oh, will distract them by signing Jurgen Klinsmann or Teddy Sheringham or like uh you know a sort of David Ginola we'll have a fancy player to sort of distract you from the fact that there's an absolute, you know, there's mayhem going on behind them. Are we in for more of that? Is that a sort of classic old Spurs sort of trick coming out of the playbook? Or is that the sign of, right, we're going to start taking this this women's side of the club seriously? How confident are you, Caroline? Uh, I think I'm less confident than I was going into this season. Because it, even it just even seems, after the club signed someone like someone like Bethany, even after that, just because I think that was actually a good example of the club's timing being a little bit behind pace um, for where we really need to be pushing if we actually want to be ambitious. Um, you know, I think the summer recruitment we thought was fine, but not inspirational necessarily, mm-hmm. and I I just worry that because we've had such a poor season results wise, it could be discouraging to potential transfers. They're, they're going to be like, I don't understand what the project is at Spurs. Mm. Um, you know, are, are they taking it seriously? And it's, it's not just down to the players that we bring in or who the manager is. It's also the way the club, you know, markets the team. And it just, I hate to say this, but it really does feel like sometimes the women's team is an afterthought. Um, which is really well, you're, scary. You're, yeah, you're you're leading us on to you know I'm sort of leading us down a path where we discuss this this big stuff because it does feel super important right now and it does feel like the club have missed a trick this season after last summer in this country where obviously women's football was riding the crest of a wave and although we didn't have our very own sort of blonde ponytailed hero returning back to N17, you know it was an opportunity for the club to really sort of make the most of this enormous once in a generational thing right and is it a comms thing is it just a I don't, like Rachel how how do you feel you know as a you know an English women's football fan like how how do you feel about what does feel to me as someone that you know is is new to you know getting behind women's football it does feel like a massive sort of trick has been missed this season by Tottenham yeah, some of it is just a lack of joined up thinking. So it's there was a lot of, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the women winning the Euros, there weren't, you know, congratulations and here you, this is how you buy a season ticket for a day or so. There was, and then when they were publicising games, they were publicising the Man United game that was mm. going meant to be our first home game that was going to be at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But even then, they were often publicizing it and letting like sections would sell out and they wouldn't open another section. So there would be like these whole periods of time where they're doing all this publicity in the sort of peak period and there were literally no tickets for sale. And so, how you know, talk about not catching the momentum and yeah. they repeatedly, okay, that's an example. But the same thing has happened even in this game again, North London Derby. There were periods where they were advertising and there were no tickets for sale. And, you know, they were opening up block by block or there's a glitch. And it's just it's not a priority. If you phone up the ticketing office, there'll often be somebody be like, oh, I don't know about the women's team. Yeah, I don't know about that. And then it's like, well, 
that's not helpful, is it? Like, how's that going to tell us what to do? It's often, and it's not even that hard. Like the women's game is actually really easy to buy tickets to, but it's not being promoted. The, you know, just there's so many things that feel like could be done more effectively. And then there's this massive amount of energy goes into one game. Well, when I say massive, relatively speaking. <laughs> so like loads of energy went into the Man United game. And there was like all this promotion. And I think I was like, I was bitching because at that game, you know, in the stadium, there were no shirts saying Bethany England. It was like Harry Kane and Son shirts. There was no um, announcer at the stadium saying the next game's at Brisbane Road. This is how you get your ticket. There's no, like you could just give out some leaflets. You could do something to like build a momentum and you know there isn't a sort of they're not supporting you know you need to also one of the issues is like our fandom isn't energized enough I don't think you know okay it's hard when you're watching games where you're losing but you know there's a lot of people who do go and that could be grown and if you did more to support you know just put a bit of money into supporting you know the supporters club or getting it going a bit Man United have, a, um, and a couple of uh, Liverpool as well, have transport to away games. And actually one of the ways you, you create songs is everybody's on the same coach. And then you have mm. a group of people who know each other are going to sing. That gets everyone louder. It creates community. I mean, there's just so many little things. And because it's at a different stage of development than the men's game, I just don't think anyone at the club understands that. And so they do it as if it's the men's game, but mm. it isn't. And yeah. Is this being communicated to them? Are, you know, are, are there groups? That, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, sort of <laughs> say something silly, but like, are there people in, you know, because we have some, you know, we've spoken to terrific people. I speak to terrific people online all the time that are so passionate about Spurs women that feel like would be such good sort of spokespeople to communicate to the club. Of course, we know that communicating with Tottenham Hotspur is ridiculous but um like how do we how do we make that better like caroline have you got any ideas about how tottenham sort of joined the dots on this well i i mean i know our co-host sean has definitely reached out to the club personally about specific issues in the past so i i think they're hearing these things it's to me it's just a matter of willpower um and really the club just needing to actually embody that sort of one club mindset. Um, because I think there's just not being enough done to really galvanize, you know, portions of the men's support into supporting the women's team. Yes. You know, it, they it, barely it does... even retweet, man. They, I'm right. like, I saw it. I saw it today. There was like one retweet and I was like, oh, that's nice. But and I feel like do... you notice it when they do it because it yeah. hardly ever happens. And also right. it looks like... a hostage video. Yeah, you know, like I was going to say. Or the Harry ex... Kane. Yeah. You must go and yeah. see the women at Brisbane Road. It will be fun. <laughs> Trust us. <laughs> but yeah, I think they... There just hasn't also, we've talked about this, I think, particularly at the beginning of the season when, you know, we as a podcast were trying to galvanize support and get people on board. The club really needs to understand that to a lot of fans, women's football is not something that is super familiar to them. They don't know the players. 
they don't know the league. Like they they need education for a lot yeah. of a better they word. They need to know. Exactly. They need to know every other team. They need mm-hmm. to know when the games happen because especially in the women's league, it's so stop and start, right? It's like a small league, but it's spread out over basically, the, you know, almost the whole of the men's season, right? So right. it's just constantly on and off. And yeah, just like, I think they have got a bit better with this. But I remember at the start, I was like, why is it? They're not even tagging any of the players in the socials. It's like, I don't, I don't know who these people are. Right. And, and a lot of me. fans don't know who they are. They they need to be introducing these players, not just yeah. as people, which I think they do either. a good job of, yeah. but but as professional players, like highlighting their actual skills. And exactly. Where getting people they excited about the football. Well, yeah. Yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. And I think they have started to do that a bit. Like, there was a nice, like, Bethany England kind of montage um, video going, like, doing the rounds today of all of her goals for Tottenham. And it's like, and they are pushing that a bit more. But I want to see that for all the players, actually. And oh, I don't yeah, think I- we should be embarrassed about the fact that people don't know who they are. Like, that's fine. You know? Which is Rachel says, right? The, the, well, and Caroline has just made that point, too. The this, these are different things. Men's football and women's football are different. And that's absolutely fine that it's different. And it, you don't have to sort of treat the women's game in the same way through fear of, you know, offend, offending women's sport or, you know, patronising. It's just, it's different. And therefore you have to approach it differently. And for the club to not see that just seems like such an oversight that just seems ridiculous more than anything else. Like I don't, I don't understand. There are so many open goals available to them that we just don't seem to be taking. And it's so frustrating. It really, really is so frustrating. And they are putting funding in. Like, for example, they have like comment- like in-house commentary for all of the games on Spurs play, which most a lot of other teams don't do. So there are mm. things they're doing, but it's just, are they doing the right things? Because what they are doing is, I actually think in a way they are doing a one club thing, because like as Charlie, you said, like they're kind of doing the same as they might for the men's, yeah. but the men's has pre-existing support and there are the things that they people want from that is maybe different. Weirdly, the women's actually, you can watch most of the games on FA Player for free. Okay, the commentary watch. isn't always great. <laughs> we can get on to- yeah, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll talk about get that in a bit. Pictures. But like compared to the men's, it's actually more accessible a lot of the yeah. time because um, a lot, you know, you'll have a game a week, it, you know, so there's on BBC as well as on the um, mm. FA player. But I think it's the other stuff. And like you say, it's the introductions and those playing introductions, like highlights reels of ev- like you're saying, Rosa, like, like highlights clips of everybody. I mean, why weren't they sending around like the reel of what Ash did against Man United? Because it was cool. It was like really, yeah. really cool. And it's the sort of thing yeah. that people watch. And if you've been paying attention as well, that's what we were all discussing on social media, right? So it's not even as if just if someone had just been looking, they could have gone, oh, actually, let's do that. It's do you had you guys have any idea about the sort of structure of things that Spurs women? I'm like, like, you know, is it Daniel Levy who fired Rianne Skinner? Who's in do you know what I mean? Like, who's in charge? I feel like it's <laughs> I, so that's vague. a really good point. <laughs> Uh, who do I petition to get more money for this team is basically what I'm saying. Do I need to wave my Enoch out banner or not? That's all I need to know. I think <laughs> there were rumours, weren't there, that like when Alex Morgan was over and she managed to get better resources and training facilities, which was like her big achievement at Spurs because she didn't score a lot of goals, but did do that. Um, and that was because she was sort of famous and Daniel Levy yeah. listened to her. And so she had that in. And we've heard also that historically, and I don't know if this is waning now because it's been longer since then, but when Shalina Zadorsky won an Olympic gold medal, then she had a little bit of clout. So it does feel like there are individuals who mm. might have some clout 
And it does seem to be with Daniel Levy. It's not very obvious that there's anyone else. I mean, it would be nice if there were some other people making decisions who did care and focus more on the women's team, but it's not obvious. Because I feel like that's that's what should happen, right? There should be somebody in charge. And there is... There is, is there a, a sort of Paratici figure? Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. There is, but we don't... We don't know I who they are. <laughs> I can't even remember the name now. My point is we don't know much about them or how they <laughs> operate. <laughs> is there so. a director of football? I thought there was a general manager, but I didn't know there was a director. There's a general match. No, is there a That just sounds sure. like someone who does the kits. <laughs> I'm pretty like sure that. their title is director of women's football or something like along those lines. Oh, so okay. they, they exist. We don't know how how much power they have. I mean, ultimately the buck does stop with the ownership because, because we are under the Tottenham, you know, banner at this point in the, in the women's team, but Mm. yeah. And do you, I know Rosa, this is something you've mentioned on, on the sort of regular podcast a lot before and just in sort of heated. uh, Which of my rants are you going (laughs) to? I'm going to talk about your rant the. We are, you know, it's not just the fact, well, what's great is that women's football is super popular and is, as we've mentioned, riding a crest of a wave in this country. But if you're Tottenham right now, you are facing extreme competition for new supporters and young fans that are getting into women's football. You know, young children obviously want to watch football teams who win. Like they want to go to the matches, see goals, see victories. Spurs right now are a very hard sell for, I imagine, a kind of six or seven year old child, for example, who are just getting into women's football when they could go and see Arsenal, they could go and see Chelsea, they could, you know, just watch either of the Manchester teams on telly, etc., are you concerned that we're in danger of not sort of grasping the nettle in terms of attracting those young fans? Is it the same as sort of, or is it just not something to worry about because it would just be a generational thing? People will have kids in Spurs families, those kids will get into it. But do do the club need to be doing more, I suppose, particularly with young girls, right? Do they need to be doing more with young girls to try and get them on board, get them excited so that we fend off sort of Arsenal and Chelsea. Rachel? So I guess this is almost like, yeah, this is something that I'm, yeah, I guess I have slightly contradictory opinion on this maybe because I think that we're doing enough for young girls who are coming with their families and are under the age of 10. Mm. Quite honestly, that's what we do. We focus on girls who can't make their own decisions, who are mostly being brought there by their parents. And it's all about inspiring the next generation. And there's actually a, what I think we should be doing is focusing on teenagers. I think there's like a whole bunch of people who, for whom it would be affordable entertainment, who live in the local area, who, yeah, it might, you know, like maybe they come from a Spurs family or maybe we just get them in because they can actually go there with their friends. It's not aggressive. Mm-hmm. It's not hostile. Girls and boys, because, you know, I've got friends who've got like sons and stuff who go to Arsenal games by themselves or who are 13, 14 year olds. And I think that's where you get people who are actually making their own decisions, who are, but it's like a really massive, big fan base that could be grown. Um, And I think that would be where I'd be really excited to see Spurs doing more and thinking about how do you do that? How do you use TikTok? How do you use the players and the players accounts on Instagram and all of those things where like you get more of the really, really sort of like teenagers, but like ones who are young enough to be excited about things who are 
And I don't like a lot of it's been a lot of the focus is always we want to inspire the next generation. But like how many men's football fans actually go on to play for England or Spurs? Like zero percent, pretty much. And so the you're crushing so many dreams right now, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I hope my daughter is an up and can't hit this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but, but like, you know, as Rachel like- pointed out, this is a a much more. Uh, cost-effective way to be a fan is supporting the women's team because you know we know that tickets are cheaper to the women's game if you're someone who's streaming the game you can often watch it for free on the fa player so you know that's that's another angle to look at it from and i think when we first made the move to brisbane road they had done some sort of local advertising for the team i don't know if that's still continuing because i'm obviously not there but, you know, th- there's the Leighton Orient fan base that we can tap into who, because I know they have a mm. women's team, but they're much lower down the football pyramid. So, you know, why why are we not looking into that as well? Yeah, I'm into this. This is like a good, I know, because you're right, Rachel, because as well, the sort of funny thing about taking smaller children to football is I don't actually they're not that bothered if you lose. Like I've taken my kids and they just don't even know when a goal has gone in. <laughs> half the time like it's just not it doesn't really get emotional right until you're a bit older so I feel like and to be honest I'm gonna just sound so old now like they're like teenagers are just like they're basically the same as the players they're all so young they can all like you know they all speak the same language right so it makes sense yeah so there feels like there's a natural affinity there and it's not like I'm saying you know never take a kid to football but I do think we're somehow like we're like we're like devaluing the fact that they are playing an aggressive physical yeah, stop making it weird game. like it's like you're taking your kids to panto or something yeah, yeah. like oh a family-friendly day out no I want to go and like shout <laughs> yeah I like this okay so yeah loads basically what other things do we feel like the club could be doing the first thing is yeah just communicate loads to us much better that'd be good I feel like we didn't really answer the coach question because I, listen, I would like a glamorous manager. I just would. That's the vibe. And to you guys were talking on the pod about Carla Wall, but you also talked about Casey Stoney, right? Yes, I am a huge Casey Stoney fan. And honestly, one of her biggest strengths, I think, is her recruitment, her player recruitment. She was super smart about how she put together this team for the San Diego wave, you know, it was their, their first season, they're an expansion team and, you know, came very close to winning the regular season shield. Um, And I think that spoke to the fact that she's really smart about a having a really strong tactical vision and B finding the players who fit into those, you know, needed spots and who are actually going to perform their role specifically. Um, to a point where the whole team feels cohesive. So I don't, I don't think she's gettable necessarily. But would I it, think wouldn't it be that do we feel like someone at Tottenham would even be thinking that's someone we should try for? Like, even if they just, you know, said no. There, there's I the want them to have the ambition, she, right? She could want to move back to England because she is away from her family. So, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility. I just think someone of that kind of profile, someone who really has... Um, an actual style of play that they're going to implement and not just someone who's going to come in and be like, okay, here are the players that I have. I guess I'm going to make it work. Like they need to be, I think, ambitious as well. 
And do you guys feel that it's important to have a female coach? Yes, I can imagine. I, I do. Yeah. Um, it just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's the right answer. I just, I just sort of feel it in my bones. It just feels important to me. And I think the club has kind of committed to that as well with they, you know, they just started this internship sort of mentorship program, um, for young female coaches. So for them to not hire a female manager, I think would be a bit of a bad look at this point. Um, but yeah, I think it would be nice for sure. And in terms of, so in terms of player recruitment, then looking ahead, what, what do you, what would you like to see? And what do you feel like if we're kind of thinking about the Spurs of the future, what, what, who do you, what do you feel you would like? What do you feel is possible? Like if we're looking ahead at the summer, provided we survive and get, you know, like we get a good coach, maybe not the kind of glamorous coach of our dreams, but a good coach. What is possible for us, do you think, Caroline? I think we just need to make sure that we're looking in all of the different markets for players. Cause I think in the past we've been quite limited and, you know, mostly recruiting from either existing WSL players or, you know, from a few select teams across Europe, but we really have not tapped into the American market at all, which I think there's, I mean, I'm biased, but there's a lot of talent coming out of here. Um, but also players who are in the in WSL who have come from abroad, um, you know, like we saw Aston Villa snapping up Rachel Daly and how much that has transformed their season. So I think it's, it's kind of, you just have to ask the question. You, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't take those risks in the first place. So just being more ambitious. Mm-hmm. What about you, Rachel? Yeah, I think, um, it's hard, isn't it? Because I know Caroline was saying earlier, we need to get more players in their prime, but of course they're going to be the ones that it's hardest to get. And so what this team has typically done is gone for young players or older players, you know, and that way you're always, the young players are kind of a risk that may or may not come to fruition or won't soon. And the older players are going to be, um, you know, they may or may not still have it in them to compete at the level that we need. And I'm not certain that we're going to be in the position to get the highest level, you know, players in their peak. And so I'm not sure if I wouldn't rather continue to get more sort of younger players who are have a lot of potential as opposed to some of the sort of middling players in their peak periods. Um, but it's just really hard to know. I don't know who's out there. I don't know enough about, and I think, you know, Caroline said the NWSL, but also there's a lot of European leagues about whom we know very little. And what you mm. see is coaches coming into particular clubs who have a background somewhere. And all of a sudden that club becomes like Everton's become very Danish because, you know, the Danish manager comes in and, you know, Jonas Eideville has made the whole of Arsenal, like Scandi, Northern European, a bit of Australian, but you know, it's, Clubs become the mirror image of their coaches quite quickly in the WSL because of that lack of knowledge and beyond the sort of like the people who are competing for medals in world, you know, the worlds and the, you know, European Cup. So is there a way that we could actually um, potentially actually lead the way for once? Is there, I wonder how much it would just cost just to try to actually like have a proper scouting network. I mean, I know that like the, we're not that great on the men's side either, but 
like how how hard could it be? I don't know. Obviously quite hard. But is there a way that we could actually try to, you know, blaze a bit of a trail maybe and actually just get scouts out there across the leagues? That just seems like if we can't, you know, if we can't rely on the Tottenham Hotspur name or, you know, success or money or whatever, maybe that's one way to do it. Just hear me out, Levy. And I think if we were able to find a manager who has managed in multiple leagues, then it would kind of trickle down from there. Mm. You know, that kind of attitude of we're going to leave no stone unturned. Like there are, there's talent to be found everywhere. um, If we're actually looking and ironically, um, one of our former co-managers, Juan Carlos Amoros, he's actually a really attractive prospect for a manager now because he has had experience in different leagues at this point. Um, and really been able to try out different tactical ideas. So it's it's kind of ironic that we let him go at perhaps too soon a time. <laughs> oh dear, timing and Tottenham. That's just that's just never been an issue, right? Um, do you guys feel positive looking forward? If we if we survive, I feel like all of this has to be caveated massively, but do you feel that the club is in a position to sort of listen? to what's needed and we could actually create something good and it doesn't because I just always feel like the money is just not that you know it's just not the same so it shouldn't you could just take like you know half of Pedro Porro and you could transform the women's team right (laughs) I'm I'm slightly hopeful (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm slightly optimistic despite what I said earlier because I really, I hope, and I think that this will have been a wake up call to the club that we got so close to relegation after such a strong season last year that yes, I think probably can't that's going yeah. yeah, to indicate to them that you can't, you right. You, like you said, you can't coast. You have to like continually build um, mm-hmm. and build on the success to get to more success. Yeah. Okay. That's, I'm, um, you know, I like to, I like to dream big. So I just want to just as a kind of last thing, um, I'd like to just just zoom out just a little bit more. I don't know why I said zoom out. I, I actually hate that phrase. But thinking about the kind of women's game as a whole, because it's been quite a sort of experience watching it for the last couple of seasons. What do you feel like this league gets right and what do you feel needs a lot of improvement? Because obviously we're part of a system as well as the other thing. And the men's game is such a kind of, you know, corrupt but very well well oiled machine and this is still something that is kind of growing um what do you feel like this league gets right and what needs a lot of improvement Rachel so I think that I think it would be better if the league grew both the WSL and then the championship and the leagues below it there's a lot of sort of pressure from below of clubs that are trying trying to invest and are not able to get promoted um especially if you go two leagues below where there's a southern and a northern league and the winners of each league then play each other in a playoff to get into the championship so you can win your league and not get promoted and there's just one up one down from all of these leagues and so 
I think, you know, we need to get a few more teams and start having two up, two down. So more jeopardy, but also more. Mm. Um, but, next, so ne- but next season, right? When, not when next season, definitely not. not this season. And like I say, get, make the league bigger as well. You know, there's more teams yeah. in it. So that would be a bit of a say. But I, so I think there's these things around, you know, growing, which are just around the structures. But obviously one of the other issues, which isn't affecting any of the teams, except to some extent Reading in the WSL, is that most of the big teams in the WSL are attached to a men's team and are basically their loss leaders. And that's great. We can say there's a reason for them being loss leaders. There's, you know, 50 years of ban that you need to make up for. So you owe us. So please chuck some money at the women's team. But it isn't good for teams like Lewis or Durham or the teams that are standalone clubs or even Reading, which is a smaller men's club on it attached to it. And so thinking about some sort of distribution of funds that means that it's more sustainable for the women's teams to who are not funded by men's team to keep going. But at the same time, you know, we know that women in the game are not yet paid very much. And so even though you have a few people who have high wages, you need other, you know, you need more people across. And, you know, and I'm talking about everything. Like one of the things I think we need to do is sort out our fitness. So we need to pay people more to, you know, I want better fitness coaches who can get Spurs players, you know, running. And I don't want us to be, you know, relying on Herbal Life, which is an evil institution. We're not going to go into, but, you know, they are supposedly doing our, you know, our fitness at the moment. So I'm just going to blame them for everything, but yeah, that seems there's fair, a whole bunch of things around, you know, around money, the distribution of money. But I also think, like I say, I don't think that the, that it's, there's not as much, const- I mean, I think WSL is trying and it's putting efforts in and, you know, I don't know, <laughs> run out of thoughts. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I've been thinking about this question a lot lately as the NWSL is starting its season because the two leagues have such very different vibes. Um, and I think something that the WSL has in its favor is that in Europe, you have European competition. Um, so Champions League, that's just something that we don't have in the US. So the WSL is able to attract really the top talent across the world because they feel like they have more to compete for there. Whereas, you know, in WSL, it's kind of a very closed system. Um, But it's, I think sometimes having so many of your clubs being attached to a men's team can be a little limiting in terms of just your ambition and your ability to dream really. Um, Because it's kind of, you know, it's almost like you you're competing for resources and we, we see that Tottenham does have a leg up over some clubs in the sense that we have top class training facilities for our women's team. Um, we're not so sure about the uh, medical side of it. Um, if our injury list is anything to go by, but you know, it's, I, I think WSL clubs in general are starting to reach the same sort of level of professionalization. Um, so that's a good thing. It's, it's just that they're, it's harder, I think for the WSL for there to be parity between teams, because there isn't anything like salary caps, the draft system that we have in the U S um, you know, pros and cons to both, both systems, but it's, it, it can be, I think a little discouraging just knowing that it's harder to attract the top level talent. If you're not one of those teams that have been established, you know, since the WSL began, basically. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with the London City Lionesses next season, right? Because they're they're like nailed on for promotion, aren't they, pretty much? 
and they're not they're not linked to any are they not nailed on for promotion i thought they were i thought they were competing rachel, so rachel's shaking her head oh are they oh okay oh that'll be but I'm not, I haven't look, i'll look it up don't know <laughs> i mean to be honest i looked it up when we were playing them and then i just and then forgot about them completely um my one thing about the wsl is i cannot stand the fa player i want it to die and i would and i don't understand why they can't just make a deal with the bbc and or sky just to have all of the games that just seems really basic i don't know what they're waiting for it can't you know are you just waiting for a massive deal i don't know anyway and that's you know there always has to be a rant um Guys, this has been so, so, so much fun. And I really, I feel like I have like a million other questions. We didn't even get into like, like I don't I don't know what the sort of academy situation is and how much we're kind of competing. We're obviously competing for resources with Arsenal and Chelsea, but like how that affects us as a club and our recruitment. Maybe we will have to do a part two at some point. Um, we absolutely will once the spectre of relegation yes. is passed and we can all breathe a massive sigh of relief and talk about lovely things like recruitment without fearing that we're going to be back in the dark ages again. So we'll definitely have you back once we, um, once we're in our sort of streaming onto the pitch at Brisbane road, celebrating, staying up. Yeah, we're definitely (laughs) going to do it. And we do just have one last lovely thing that I need from both of you. Caroline, you've been on our pod before, so you know how this goes. Can't let you go without a culture recommendation. Caroline, you go first. Right. So I have a book to recommend. I just read the memoir by Brianna Scurry called My Greatest Save. Um, Y'all may be familiar with her. She was a pioneering goalkeeper in the U.S. women's national team. And, you know, she's someone who I like grew up being aware of watching her play with the national team, but I didn't know much about her story. And it's just kind of incredible that she, you know, she was basically one of the very few black players on the team. She was openly lesbian at a time when that really was not a thing in sports. And she, you know, went through personal struggles within her career as well. But really the biggest thing was that she suffered a debilitating head injury in her last game in her career and basically went through hell um, to get the insurance company to allow her to have this basically like life-saving surgery um, so that she could get her life back. And I didn't know anything about this until reading her book. So I definitely recommend it, especially if you're someone who grew up watching that U.S. national team. And, you know, they I think they brought a lot of pride to us Um at a time when soccer was not like a huge sport here, they were kind of the vanguard and she was a big part of that. So that sounds incredible. That sounds absolutely incredible. That is going Mm, on my reading list for sure. Rachel, over to you. I was thinking, yeah, I was, I was going to say just very quickly on Caroline, there's a BBC podcast. If you can't be bothered to read the whole book, there's like a 40 minute BBC podcast about her, which I've, I've heard, which was great. Um, just Amazing. I'll do that as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, oh God, I was thinking, I don't know. I have no very major recommendations recently. I think I've been watching and listening to a bunch of stuff, which is okay. I know the last thing that made me laugh, I, uh, the, you've seen the film Spontaneous? No, um, I think it's on Netflix. Okay, it's high schoolers who are spontaneously combusting, um, which is... Um, <laughs> I love it already. Good, you know? So, yeah, I'll go with that one. You know, there's no reason for it. They're just spontaneously combusting, and then they... Yeah, that's it. 
Incredible. Okay. And just this also feels very sort of fitting with the Spurs vibe, actually, now I think about it. A bit like our season, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Amazing. Exactly. <laughs> it's just like that little bit of nihilism, but there's a little bit of hope as well. So, you know. That's just that just sums us up perfectly, doesn't it? Guys, thank you so much. What a joy. Are we are gonna have you back. We're gonna see you on the other side once we're safe. Okay. It's going to happen. Let's not even worry about it. Charlie, mm-hmm. you're going to have to see us out this time. Up the spurs. 